Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Making Action Happen, the show that we do for our Action 22 members around the state of Colorado and around the country and now around the world. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. And we've got a really great show for you today. We are sitting at the Walking Y Ranch in Trinidad, Colorado with County Commissioner Tony Haas. Um, And we have a lot of great stuff. But before we get to him, we've also got one of our really wonderful colleagues, Matt Albright, who runs the Center for American Values. And the Center for American Values is one of this really uh, interesting and unique uh, nonprofits in Pueblo County. Um, And they do some amazing stuff. And Matt has been a longtime colleague of of mine uh, from way before, for more years than I'm going to say. But um, Matt is working on a really, really important project uh, that we're going to that he's going to talk about a little bit. But Matt, uh, welcome to the show. And before you get into uh, the project you're working on, will you tell us a little bit about the Center for American Values? Of course I will, Sarah. First, thank (laughs) you for having me. Uh, It's a pleasure. And yes, we do go way back. But it's amazing to see you continue to make a difference throughout Southern Colorado. And I believe our mission here at the Center for American Values is doing the same thing. Uh, Those of you that aren't familiar with the center, we are a 501c3 public charity. Um, nothing political about it. Sometimes people hear the name. We don't have a political angle on what we do. Uh, in short, we recognize service and sacrifice. And the reason we do it is in the hopes that the next generation will do the same. We focus our mission in three areas. First is community engagement and inspiration. Uh, behind me, you may see if you can't see the Zoom, but if you, if you can't, uh, the center itself hosts the Portraits of Valor, It's 160 portraits of the Congressional Medal of Honor recipients that were living 1999 to today. Uh, The reason that's significant is, one, there's only two places this unique collection is held. One, here on the Pueblo Riverwalk, and two, is in the Pentagon. Uh, This is also the Medal of Honor Gallery. We have all kinds of different historic items associated with that Congressional Medal of Honor. And uh, our co-founder, Drew Dix, many of you from Pueblo County in Southern Colorado know that name. He is integral in our mission, but we also aren't focused on only honoring the Congressional Medal of Honor recipients. We really talk about not just the recipients, but the meaning of the medal, which is sacrificing something selfless in order for the better good. So we recognize and honor folks from all different walks of life for their amazing contributions to this community, to Colorado, and to the nation. We also have a focus in character and leadership development. We host numerous groups, not just kids, uh, field trips and whatnot. With kids, it's about 7,500 to 10,000 youth a year participate in our uh, programs, civics education, character and leadership development, and everything in between. We also do a lot of programs for adults. We all know that uh, we need some training now and then if you want to stay on top of it. And the civics and character and leadership development, uh, we believe, should continue into adulthood. So we've hosted Action 22. We've hosted uh, countless groups. Even this year with the reopening in our community, we're we're getting moving again and seeing a lot of different groups from uh, Colorado Ag Leadership Development to the Postal Carrier Union. And and just it's great to see folks back out again. So anybody listening, watching, um, uh, the 
unique venue is available. Uh, nothing political. Uh, you know, something like Action 22 is different, but nothing, you know, no political platforms or, or soapboxes. But we love getting groups in talking about the issues of Colorado. And then the one I'm talking about today, the third focus area is first responder and veteran support. We know, I'm talking to Southern Colorados here, we know that this is an issue that is near and dear to many of us. Um, I often point out a story of the big food distribution we do, which covers nine Southern Colorado counties, not what I'm talking about in, at length today, but I remember talking to the VSO in uh, Conejos County, and he pointed out that they don't have things like that down there. This is very rare to have the opportunity to have a food distribution, be able to help the veterans. They're driving as far as Denver to receive aid for their veterans. So we love being a bit of a hub here in Southern Colorado, bringing a different veterans group together and making a difference. And that is one thing we're doing here, uh, the program I get to talk about today. This is a national program um, that I'm about to talk about, but it is still Colorado-centric, Colorado-focused because we never forget that our home is the home of heroes. So a week from today, on Thursday, May 27th at 3 p.m., the center will be facilitating a Congressional Medal of Honor virtual program. It's entitled Breaking the Wall of Silence. Congressional Medal of Honor recipients speaking to the active duty and veteran suicide issue. Um, I hate to say veteran suicide epidemic because we know this is an American epidemic. It's ravaging our rural communities and our farms. It's ravaging teenage in high schools. But we're seeing this very deep and uh, very, uh, it's a tragedy in the veterans community, as we all know. So what this program intends to do is bring a voice to the voiceless. We feel you know, this unique connection with the Congressional Medal of Honor recipients really gives us an opportunity. Um, the Congressional Medal of Honor is something that transcends rank, transcends branch. It really just can open up a conversation. It's not a, hey, I have four stars on my shoulder, listen to me type of, type of thing, or hey, I'm a Navy, I'm Army, I'm Marine. Um, it really just can bring everything to a, a common level, much like our friends at Action 22 do when we're talking about Colorado issues. And so having these Congressional Medal of Honor recipients speak to uh, breaking the stigma, breaking the stigma of, of seeking help, breaking the stigma of talking openly about active duty veteran suicide. That's something that I think the outside world loves to do, say, oh, 22 a day and it's a tragedy, but we don't talk about how we identify the warning signs in our fellow friends, neighbors, uh, folks we see at the, at, the, at, the, at the restaurant or whoever in your community that may be struggling, identifying those signs in knowing that we could be the one responsible to making a difference. It's the little things, the little, hey, how you doing? I, I know you're having some problems and really reaching out and get out of this mindset of, oh, they're fine, tough it up type of mentality. And as I said, having these recipients speak to this issue, talk about their own lived experience, talk about their own struggles and giving their perspective. I mean, it's we brought a diverse group in. We have two from the war on terror, Flo Groberg, and Kyle White, also Alan Lynch, a Vietnam Medal of Honor recipient. And it's just gonna bring different views and it's what's needed. Nobody has the answer. If anybody had the answer to this, we wouldn't be talking about it. This wouldn't be such an issue. So to that point, again, May 27th at 3 p.m., it's a YouTube live broadcast. So you can come in and watch it from from anywhere in Colorado, and we will also make it available. So you say 3 p.m., what the heck? I can't make it then. Well, we're going to make that available um, throughout the upcoming months so people can come back and reference this. And the hope is this won't be the only one. And we'll be able to do this to address issues in other communities 
as well and other other high risk uh, uh, areas. Um, you know, you brought up the 22 a day, which everybody hears and sees um, on social media. But we were at a, a Chamber of Commerce luncheon the other day, and this was a topic they brought up, um, not particularly veterans or active duty, but across the board. And surprisingly, and I did not realize this other than passing conversation, actually, I think with you, Colorado has a higher rate of suicide than the national average, correct? Yes, uh, it, it's staggering. Colorado in general has a higher rate. And within the veteran community, we are about equal with Arizona for the highest active duty veteran suicide rate in the nation. Uh, I don't think that's something I didn't know. I wasn't aware of that. Uh, and I've been working with veterans for, for uh, going on a decade now. And it was something that was news to me when I really got embedded in this and involved with this about two years ago. Um, I'm going to look at my sheet here because I never want to be misquoted. But uh, some of the Colorado stats between 2004 and 2019, Colorado lost 3,044 active duty and veterans to suicide in just that, that period. Uh, 217 service members died by suicide in 2019 alone. In El Paso County, obviously those of us around here know that El Paso County is a huge military community uh, with, with Fort Carson and, and Peterson. They're losing on average one veteran a day to suicide. Also wow. kind of gave a little bit of perspective the national average for active duty veteran suicide rate is 32 per 100,000. In Colorado, it's 42 per 100,000. And obviously with everything going on, it's, it's not getting better. Uh, like I said, I'm not coming. We don't believe this particular program is the magic pill. But um, Brian, I know you really worked hard in, 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 in with veterans, and that's one of your passions. Not, I know everybody at the table probably, but it's getting folks to talk about it. We think that's the, uh, a first step. If we can break that stigma, stigma of reaching out for help, break that stigma of saying, I'm fine, I'm fine. No, don't worry about me, I'm fine. Or he's fine, or she's fine. And really letting our friends and neighbors kind of deal with it themselves instead of reaching out and saying, hey, are you okay? And sometimes that's, that's really difficult to ask someone, hey, how are you doing? And when they say, I'm good, no, seriously, how are you doing? Sometimes just that little bit may be the thing that gets them out of the funk, gets them to communicate, and then we can, you know, encourage them that, hey, no, no, you know, you're really important to me. It wouldn't be the same without you and, and plant that seed for them to, to go further on and get some help. Um, we're also working on putting together a Southern Colorado Veteran Suicide Prevention Coalition. Um, perhaps I won't get deep into that right now, but if there's VSOs and veterans that are paying attention to this broadcast, uh, please um, reach out to me. I'd love to talk about that and make this a, a regional thing, not just in play. Well, we're going to help you to try to make that a regional thing. I know that it's important. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, we talk about uh, ag producers having the suicide issues as well. And then you're going to find a lot of ag producers are veterans. And so um, it's a double whammy on that one. And so I've, I have wondered myself how many, like which column do those fall into um, if it's a veteran and they're an ag producer. And you know, so I know, I know those are the numbers there, but I've wondered often if the numbers aren't even higher than that, if you were to count them in both places. So um, that's going to be a really big deal. Um, Matt, you talked just for a second about this discussion that you're going to have on the 27th of May. Um, so that's next week. Uh, we'll yes. put the information out for you. But 
um, during that discussion, is that just for veterans or is it something that if you, um, if you have a veteran in your life or if you have a friend that you could listen in, um, it's something that you're worried about that would give you maybe some skills or is this just strictly for veterans? Oh, thank you for asking, Sarah. No, this is for everybody. Anybody, you don't even have to have a veteran in your life. Kind of how uh, we're framing it or, or see this. And as we've been working with the recipients is they're just having a candid conversation. None of these guys on there have their doctorate in mental health. They're not coming in thinking, you know, uh, we, we know the stats, but they're not going to be, it's not going to be a big stat heavy thing. It's going to be a conversation. So our first focus obviously is for veterans, active duty, and what to see that and say, hey, if these guys can talk about it. But I believe this is also going to be important for healthcare professionals and the average American to be able to kind of say, oh, this is where they're coming from. You know, this is where Uncle Bill is coming from. This is where my neighbor, this is where, and just create a better understanding for the average civilian to um, relate, if you would, to the veterans and the struggles they face when it comes to communicating about their struggles and suicide prevention. So uh, once again, great answer or great question, Sarah, because this is for anyone who wants to get a deeper knowledge of this issue. Matt, we're going to have you um, come back on the show um, a little bit further down the road when you've got this developed. And I know this isn't going to be a one and done discussion for you, but, and I know as you develop stuff for Southern Colorado and what that looks like, we'll have you on. Um, you're going to send me the information so that we can send that in that, those invites out. And Brian's going to talk with his VSO uh, friends and colleagues um, and that we'll get, get that out for you as much as we can. Um, and then it'll be on demand after that, I assume. On so demand watch after it. So yeah, so obviously we realize not everybody's going to be able to make it there three o'clock on a, on a Thursday, but we wanted to put it before Memorial Day because there is sadly a spike during Memorial Day week. And I think people are thinking about folks they lost. Um, but also it's not just the combat veterans that lost somebody. You know, many of our veterans who weren't even in combat are struggling and we're seeing high rates there. Uh, best way to follow it, please, and thank you for sending out the information, but an easy way if you're just listening to this, like the Center for American Values on Facebook or Twitter. We're going to be flooding that with the link. Uh, again, it's a YouTube live broadcast, so we're going to have the guys, they're all across the nation and, and coming in just similar to this, and then we're going to push that out on YouTube live for the live one and then you know button it up and then re-release it the right after Memorial Day weekend. So anybody can like, share, view, and, and help get this program out and about. So once again, if you're going to try to uh, get there and, and you want the easy button is just go to YouTube and search American Center for American Values, and you'll be able to find it, correct? Yep. Yep. Okay. And of course, that Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff that's uh, everybody's doing now. So great, great. Matt, thank you so much for being on. And did you see how I didn't call you Maddie in front of everybody? No, thank you so much. <laughs> <just there. laughs> uh, All right. Thank you so much. You know, I, I deeply respect what you do with Action 22, both of you. It was nice to meet you, Commissioner. And thank you for the time. Look forward to coming back and uh, once again speaking with you. And, and before you jump off, I'm going to do one more plug for the Center for American Values. If you're in Pueblo at any time and you're walking around the Riverwalk, do yourself a huge favor and walk into the Center for American Values. It almost feels like sacred ground. When you stop and look around at these, all these beautiful pictures, the quotes that go with them, give yourself that gift. And especially I go down to the center when I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling um, 
just like I need some inspiration to continue to do this hard work that we all are working on. That is the place to go. It's almost like going to church. So uh, just do yourself a favor and go down and and visit and find Maddie when you're down there. Yeah, but don't call me Maddie when you're down there. (laughs) Ten to four. Ten to four days a week. The tour of the Melavana Gallery is absolutely free. And as Sarah said, it is nearly impossible to feel sorry for yourself when you're hearing the stories of these amazing Americans. Thank you again for the time. And it's, it's also important to put out, again, you are a nonprofit, 501c3. So you live off of donations. So those are important. Yes, too. we do. We do. We do. And we believe our mission is uh, uh, definitely worth it. We are a program focused 501c3 nonprofit as well. As you see, that yes. we, we really are proud that the rubber meets the road. And yep. uh, we do well with, our, with the philanthropy that comes our way. Very good. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. That was Matt Albright with the Center for American Values. Uh, look for on if you're Action 22 members involved with Action 22, you will we'll send you a link to the programs that are coming up at the Center for American Values, including this really important discussion on suicide that's coming up. So thanks, Matt. Thank you. Um, so we've got Commissioner Tony Haas with us. We are in this beautiful ranch home um, on the top of a bluff. Uh, we're going to send pictures out uh, and a little bit of video out with this um, a little bit uh, later. But um, I wanted to welcome you. You are one of the more. So if you're thinking about Col- what a Colorado County commissioner looks like, it's Tony Haas. He <laughs> former bull rider, rancher. He's done all of it. He's still an ag producer. And you were made uh, Los Animas County Commissioner how long ago now? So a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago. Yes. Okay. Um, So you've got a whole lot of stuff. So it was right before the pandemic hit. It was. It was Uh, baptism by fire, let me tell you. Yeah, it was. Um, So tell us a little bit. um, We have lots of things to talk about. especially with everything that's going on. So let's first talk about what you did to sort of get through the pandemic as a county commissioner. And then I want to talk about how the pandemic affected you as an ag producer. You, um, you're a cattle rancher. Right. Yeah. So uh, the county commission, uh, we follow the direction of our health director and uh we have an advisory position uh, only on our health board. And uh, that it, was, it was tough to get through, to navigate through that in the beginning because uh, we felt like we needed a bigger voice at the table. And, uh, but we followed protocol and, and we all masked up. Uh, the, it's been an inconvenience for everybody. You know that, everybody mm-hmm. does. And uh, we muddled through it the best we can. And uh, seems like every week there's a new protocol that we have to follow. And uh, sometimes uh, the commissioners were the last to hear that there was that protocol. But uh, <laughs> we're, uh, we're muddling through it. And uh, I, I really got to commend our health department. They've done a fantastic job. Uh, they've been uh, under ridicule. I was going to just say they haven't caught any heat during oh, this. Everybody yeah. was really just very... No. Um, forgiving and especially this time of year with graduations and and oh, uh, yeah. state playoff games and that st- sort of thing and if uh if an individual ended up with covid on the team they'd quarantine the, 
quarantine the team and and uh, Yara phones were ringing off the hook. Oh, and I'm sure. Trying to be safe, trying to keep people healthy. I get it. Um, but it, it was tough. It was tough. Um, this uh, pandemic has uh, been a real eye-opening experience for the county and, and everybody that's involved. Um, it's, uh, I won't go any further. <laughs> Let's ask this. On a scale of one to 10, how sick of Zoom meetings are you? Oh, yeah, let's make it a nine and a half. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this this was almost another Zoom, but I'm glad that I'm here today. And thank you for having me, Brian yeah. and Sarah. Oh, thanks you, for I'm, letting us be at your beautiful home, I, at this beautiful ranch. And it's so green right now with all of the rain. I'm so proud and honored to be a part of Action 22 and what this, what this organization does. Well, too. thank you so much. Yeah. By the way, um, if you're if you watch Action 22, I, I failed to mention that Tony's also um, not only a county commissioner, but he's also on the Action 22 board of directors. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been an important um, piece on that, both from the perspective of being a county commissioner, but also with um, as an ag producer, because there has been a lot going on with with ag producers and with a whole lot of what really feels like um, a war on ag right now in Colorado. I think it's a full out of salt on ag. And I want to answer the question, how did, uh, how did the pandemic affect ag producers? In the beginning, when that first happened, we have a lot of workers that are in those beef plants. And what ended up happening was some of those beef plant workers got sick. And uh, when they got sick with it, they had to quarantine the beef plant. Now that's a trickle down effect because our major feedlots, they had big beef cattle that were ready to be slaughtered and uh, they couldn't get them into the plant. So in retrospect, what they had to do is they had to uh, euthanize a lot of those cattle because they couldn't afford to feed them any longer. They, and if you do hold a cow or a steer, and this is gonna get into our pause, right? But uh, if you do hold a steer for that long and you're holding him on feed, the optimum time to have a, a uh, butcher calf butchered is when they're right at the top of their peak of producing the marble that's in the meat. Okay. And that's at about 1,250 pounds to 1,400 pounds, depending on the breed of the, of the animal. If you try to hold them longer than that, you're holding them on a ration or even back them off that fat turns to gristle in the meat and it's uh, it's just the quality of your meat diminishes, you know, substantially. And so the price goes down. And it was tough on producers because then the trickle down effect, I'm a cow calf producer. The trickle down effect to us was we take our 650 pound yearling steers or calves into, to the sale barn. There wasn't a demand for them because there was nowhere to fit, fit them. Because if they're holding them at the packing house and at the feedlot, you're going to have to hold them at the ranch too. So a lot of us had to retain ownership. And that was a huge burden. Putting about another $200 per head to hold them until those plants opened back up. Well, and not only that, it was the middle of a drought. So, I mean, it was buying hay at that point if you were going to keep them. Is it true? I read somewhere that there's only 12 packing, uh, meat packing houses for beef in the U.S.? I'm not sure. Oh, about how that. many are in Colorado? 
I don't know that either. Oh. <laughs> I know there's they're booked out two years in advance. Now you gotta, if you want to get a, a beef in to have it slaughtered now, you're, it's a two way, it's a two year uh, long wait to get in there. So your appointments and is that from backing up from the the pandemic? Part of it, part of it is because uh, now everybody understands that. Uh, their, their, their food supply, their meat supply is, you know, subject to a pandemic also. Oh, so, yeah. so what they've got to do is they've got to uh, uh, basically back it up and, and hold it over. And uh, it's been tough. That's yeah. totally stressful. So, so basically any decision that you're making right now, you have to plan two years in advance, right? And then you have what we're going to talk about legislation coming down that could change a year from now. And in that system where you're planning two years out, similar to the potato farmers, you know, they plan three years out. And as something changes, and I know with everybody, money's tight right now and and we're on a budget and you have to make the bottom line. So if this big wrench comes in, i.e. the pause act or Mm -hmm. this other ag bill, that can really hurt you detrimentally financially and operational wise, correct? Correct. And there's not, there's not a big profit margin for ranchers and especially coming out of a drought and a pandemic all at the same time. Many of us are actually going to go into the negative for this year. We won't have a profit. We're going to, we're going to have to make up that next year. And uh, things are looking good out here. As you guys seen, we got green grass and, and, you know, Lord blessed us with the moisture that we needed. And we're all happy about that, but it's going to take us a while to dig out of this out of this hole. And then with these two other, the ballot initiative pause and also with the labor bill. And there was multiple things, you know, the meet out day and maybe we made too much of it. I don't know, but uh, it, it rallied the troops. People were, were, you know, ranch owners, uh, cattle producers. They wanted to let everybody know that hey, we're still here. We have a premier product that we can offer to, to, you know, to our consumers. And, and then we had legislation that passed that would allow us to sell directly off the ranch. And that, that was, was a huge. big deal. That yeah. was a really big deal. And people know that we, and once they've tried it right there from the ranch, they, they see the, the choice product that they're, that they're going to, and they've, my, uh, I have a little business that uh, I run that I sell beef on the side. And uh, it's tripled since. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's good. Is that going to be um, how how much help is that going to be to making up the deficit that you had from last it's a, year? It's a small help. It's a small and, help. Yep. At uh, because uh, normally cattle ranchers they get paid once a year, maybe twice a year oh, when yeah. they go in in the I spring so. and the fall with whatever they have, and this way you can uh, make a little more throughout the year. So about every month or two, or depending on how big an operation you have you, every, every two It'll weeks. It'll help a little bit. Yeah. It helps a little bit. Um, before we go to break, I want to ask you really quick. Um, if somebody wanted to buy cattle right off, off the ranch, do they have to send it? I know this is a dumb question, but do they have to send it someplace to get it um, processed or do, can they get it processed from you or how do, how would one go about doing that? When, when I do it, I do uh, quarter halves and holes. Okay. And uh, I take mine to a USDA inspected pl- uh, processor. That way everything is legit on board. And uh, 
they buy the product when it reaches the, the packing house and and they tell them how what how they want it cut and oh nice it works out really well and at the particular place that I use they they do a shrink wrap and uh, so there's no freezer burn oh nice and every rancher offers a little incentive mine is uh, I tenderize the rounds and I I bone it out so the individual that's buying beef from me doesn't have to pay for the bone weight. Oh, so I price it by the pound and nice. And it works out really well. Yeah. That's very good. That's very good. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, the American rescue plan and what you're working on on that. And then we're going to dive in a lot more on um, the assault on ag that you just described. So okay. uh, stick with us, everybody. We'll be right back with commissioner, Tony Haas. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders. Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State, and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. 
Hi, welcome back to Making Action Happen. We're sitting here on the Walking Y Ranch with Commissioner, Los Animas County Commissioner, Tony Haas and a beef producer. Um, while we were on the break, we were talking a little bit about what Matt Albright was saying about this, this suicide and the concerns. And I know that there's a lot of effort that has been made on behalf of, well, through Colorado Farm Bureau, um, Senator Gardner, uh, to try to help alleviate this, but give us just a little bit of perspective on why that's happening in the ag community. When uh, you're coming out of a drought and you've got those increased prices, a lot of these ranches are five generations deep. You know, there's, and uh, that, and I know this from personal experience, friends that have committed suicide because uh, the other family members, Sometimes I'll lay guilt on that individual telling him that, uh, you know, grandpa and grandma made it through the thirties, the dirty thirties. How come you can't make it through this? Back then a dollar was all your dollar. And today, right. you know, 40 cents of that dollar is your dollar. Everything's higher. And uh, those individuals coming out of a drought and they've had increased everything that we have, we get, we get a payday once a year and everything we have usually most of us, operate for an entire year on, on borrowed money. Right. And then when we sell our crop, we, we uh, pay that off and we start all over again. That's the nature of the beast. But if you get to a point to where you've lost three, $400 a head that year, and you don't have any reserve to back that up, and then you have family members telling you, hey, listen, you know, how come you can't make it work? And they get to fill in that guilt and, uh, then the prices go down. Like right now, we're seeing a decline in cattle prices. And all of that just compounds on them. And I kind of understand where they're going. I've Maybe I'm made different, but uh, always seem to figure out a way to get out of it. Right. That means I got to go, you know, mop the floors at the high school. I'll do that, whatever it takes to make it work. But some people don't have that ability to, to do that. Well, and if there's anything that's added on, if somebody, if there's an illness or any, and it might be a little thing, but compacted on top of other. And, right. and so it's, I think it's really important that we um, sort of, you know, it's how important it is to be aware of your surroundings, be as aware of the people that surround you um, on issues like this, especially during these times. You have to be vigilant and you gotta, when you know that, and ranchers and farmers are all, they're, they're good people. I mean, if they know somebody's suffering that way, Absolutely. whatever we can do to help, we'll help. Yeah. I mean, if you need help branding your calves or, or you need another five ton of hay to make it to the end of the season, they'll somebody's help Somebody's going to help you figure it out, yeah. And uh, yeah, but some ranchers are real proud. I know I am. I don't like to ha ask for help. I can do it myself. And right. That's the attitude we had. We have, and uh, it's tough to ask people for help. Mm -hmm. No, it, it absolutely is. Um, but I think helps out there and let's just kind of keep going on what we're doing. Everybody and give it, give yourself and everybody else a break. Everybody's doing the best they can. Yeah. And so are you. So yeah. Um, think about that. Okay. So before we get into some more of the ag stuff, let's talk a little bit about what's coming down. So first there was the CARES Act and it was a big rush and there was a lot of ambiguity. And I think a, a lot of, 
there was a lot of money maybe left on the table and just a lot of nervousness. Now we have a whole new ball game with the American Rescue Plan. Um, and so there's some really great opportunities here. So from the perspective sitting in the county commissioner seat, and we're going to be having a lot of these discussions, but sitting in the county commissioner seat, what's that looking like for you? What are you doing to start to have those conversations and figure out what the priorities are and so forth? In a small rural county like Los Animas County, where uh, we, we depend on grants and that kind of stuff to stay afloat um, with the median, uh, you know, our, our at uh, 28,000, there's not a lot of- The median what is 28,000? The median income. Individual for, income is 28,000. Yeah, so yeah. what's the median household income in Los Animas County? I, I don't know what So it's gotta is. be twice that maybe? Yeah, maybe. Like a little bit. 28,000 is the median income in Los yeah. Animas County. Okay, go ahead, sorry. Anyway, uh, where were we at now? I'm sorry, what the, you're doing with the county? The, for the the, oh, so what we did, so what we did, we uh, did apply for that. And uh, we found out that we're going to be awarded that money. And after I talked to you this morning, I, I did some checking up. What we're going to do is have a work session with all of our electeds there at the county. And uh, we're going to sit down around a table and throw some ideas where that money would best be spent. Me personally, I think it needs to be spent on infrastructure. Yeah, we have uh, deteriorating buildings and dollar monies are short too. I sit on the EIF board, right? And I know that dollar monies are short. So whenever we can, you know, pick up the slack and do it ourselves, we're going to do that. And uh, we're in the right in the process of renovating the courthouse. Um, we've got uh, the fairgrounds that we're trying to renovate and get back to its pristine standards that it used to be. Right now, it's been run down and uh, needs a lot of yeah, a lot of loving touch to get it back to where it needs to be. So, for you, infrastructure looks like um, just updating or making catching up on county facilities or county, county buildings yep. that uh, haven't. I think that would be probably neglected. the priority in my book. Yeah. Then there would be broadband. I mean, we all have the wish list. Uh, uh, housing affordability. We're looking at something like that. Um, um, our solar wind, we've got a solar farm coming in another one. We're looking at wind, wind generation. Right. And, uh, of course, uh, the main thing though, I think bef before we ever get there is we need to make sure that our infrastructure can hold this County together. When we see the influx of people that's going to come to this city and County because of our new Fisher Peak state park. Yeah, we're going to have to be able to uh, to absolve all of that that's coming with you know the visitors. What's your housing stock like here? And there isn't much, and mm -hmm. uh, and as soon as a house goes on the market, it's incredible. It'll be gone in three days. Yeah, and selling it for three times what they're asking. I mean, we could almost have a bidding war, you know, on here in Los Angeles County. And, and it's interesting because we're seeing that across the board um, from Pueblo. You know, it's less than 24 hours. That's how long houses yes. are on the market. And it's all cash. Yep. And they're not from there. No. And then um, that slowly trickles out to the communities. Like you, we were in Alamosa and, you know, there's a nine month waiting list to build a new house there because so many people are coming in. And I, I saw this years ago that was going to happen. And I think that COVID just expedited it. And what's happening in the bigger cities goes down to Pueblo. And now it's just moving out. Yep. And it's, it's a problem. 
I first see that happening right here in Los Animas County. And uh, a year and a half ago, two years ago, when, when I was doing my candidate speech at that, that uh, candidate's night, I uh, told everybody we're in a unique position. Uh, the wheels of progress are rolling down the front range and we're in a unique position mm -hmm. to where we can mold and shape this county how we want it before, you know, the urban sprawl dictates how we right. do it. Yeah. So I, I, I got to commend everybody that's uh, working, the city officials and everybody. They're all trying to work toward that end. And the th I think the thing with the rescue plan that I've really, and I mean, the guidelines just came out last week. So that's why we are starting to have these conversations. But I think the thing that I'm most excited about is this gonna, is going to be a very bottom up approach to funding. So um, the, on the, you're going to get money. You're going to get there. You're guaranteed to get money as with the cares act. It, there was a, a pass through. It had to filter and, and somebody else was deciding you're going to get some money for sure. Um, this, because it's 50,000, it's less than 50,000 for Trinidad or for you municipalities in uh, Los Animas County, they're going to have to do some more work, um, to go after those funds, but you can sit down and match, or you guys can work on projects together and, um, do a lot of things. And then you can even have a project that everybody sort of contributes to. And then the state can contribute and the fed can contribute to, um, which is amazing. That being said, I have found often that rural counties don't always work very closely with the municipalities in their county. There's always, sometimes there's some friction and Los Animas County is no exception to that. So, um, and, and Mayor Rico's on the Action 22 board, you're on the Action 22 board. How are you bridging that gap? We made a promise to each other when, uh, when I was running for commissioner that we would try to reach across the aisle, you know, basically, and work together. And uh, we've done we've done fairly well. It's tough when you got two uh, government governing parties that are working toward the same end, competing toward for the same monies, and and it's it's tough at, at times. But at in the end, we're all Los Animas County, right? And uh, I like to talk about Team Los Animas County. Yeah. Um, when we have a, a big project like uh, GoCo awarded us the, I uh, forget the name of the gym equipment that we put out at the fairgrounds, but it was a community effort and everybody got involved. Uh, uh, all the commissioners and, and Mayor Rico were there and all, a lot of city people and, and different, uh, our fire department, our police department, mixing concrete and, and putting a playground up for the kids. And that's what it's about. I right. mean, working together to come to a common goal to see it to fruition. And another thing that's really good about this American Rescue Act, where it's different from the CARES Act, in my opinion, the CARES Act, everything was a rushed deal. It had to be right. done. And the sunset was much shorter time period. A lot of uh, different criteria that you had to follow and fit into. Whereas this American Rescue Act, it doesn't sunset until 2026. And you can think about the programs that you really need to implement. Yes. And you can see them all the way to fruition. Yes. And this, this is, uh, I think it's going to work a lot better, especially for smaller counties. Yeah. Yeah. It's an exciting time, actually. <clears throat> yeah. It's something to, to look forward to. And going in the opposite direction of 
not really working together, let's get into the PAUSE Act, or the, <laughs> the, the PAUSE Act ballot initiative that we've talked about many times oh on the show. Oh my gosh, yes. So are you for it? Or are you against it? <laughs> well, you know me being a rancher, I'm, I'm going to be against you. Um, you know, in the years past, it's always been an assault on gas and oil. It seemed like that yeah. that was their target. And I don't understand whether why, why the assault is happening on ag. When uh, we do a good thing, we produce food, we feed ourselves. We're sick. We're, this nation is, can sustain itself with the food products that it produces. I'm really scared that if they keep pushing this kind of uh, legislation forward, that it'll put us all out of business. If, if we have to depend on foreign countries for our food, that'll be the death of this nation. I think that we need to capitalize on the fact that we make the premier product right here in yeah. the U.S., and uh, stick to that. And and other co- other countries around the world depend on us for their food as exactly. well. Exactly. You know, our grains, everything. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about beef. I'm talking about pork and chicken and everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's about sustainability. So for anybody who's just now catching up, um, and especially I want to, from your perspective and in your words, tell everybody what the pause um, or ballot 16 measure. Um, it's an it's a ballot measure, but tell them what it is about. So the pause initiative, initiative 16, um, it, it basically eliminates animal husbandry. So for a lot of us, um, if you artificial inseminate, you can't touch any, any uh, reproductive organ on the animal. And that's, and for a rancher, we, for the safety of our animals, many times what we'll do and this is hogs, sheep, everything mm-hmm. is will artificial inseminate our young cattle so that the big heavy bull doesn't break them down and fracture hips and legs and that sort of thing. Right. And we can go in and select the semen of that particular bull that was uh, low birth weight. So like a negative four on his birth weight means that he's much smaller than your herd bull that you use, who is a plus four on his birth weight. So there might be 40 to 50 pounds difference in the calf size. And we do that to make it less stressful to the animal. So that involves going in and, and, and checking to see if that heifer is bred, you know, preg checking. Um, you wouldn't be able to do that. You wouldn't be able to preg check. You wouldn't be able to assist that heifer. Many heifers uh, have trouble during, during the first birth, you know, cycle. And uh, you wouldn't be able to even go in there and, uh, and assist that effort. Just you wouldn't be able to castrate or neuter your dogs or cats. Yeah. For, for the people that live in the cities, this, this isn't just an ag, you know, approach. That's also going to be for your dogs and your cats. Yeah. Um, it, it reaches across a lot of everybody. Yes. And then on top of that, when you get past that part of it, then what about slaughtering a cow for food? We just talked a little bit about that. And I was telling you about holding an animal. So uh, if you can't castrate an animal, uh, Harry Bold has a buck and bulls out on his ranch and uh, they have a pasture and they're equipped to handle bucking bulls. Um, when you have a five-year-old bull and you say have 70 of them that you're holding to be five years old, which is a quarter of the 
cow's life, which is specified in the mm -hmm. bill. First off, I want to say that a productive cow, in my opinion, is their lifespan is about 13, 14 years old. Very seldom do you have them go past 15 because as they get older, their teeth grind down and they can't sustain themselves during right. a drought or short feed. But uh, anyway, and the question you asked me again. So this prohibits slaughtering on an animal, whether it be a fish, cow, chicken, until it quarter. reaches the quarter of its life. And then, you know, just getting into fish, <laughs> like there's fish that live 50 years. Yeah, yeah like how do you know how old the fish is? Yeah. And, but you that... got to cut them in half and count them. No. Yeah. <laughs> Back to my point. If you got yeah. uh, 50 head of bulls out here in the pasture, they're going to be, they're rowdy, they're rambunctious, yeah. they hit each other, they yeah. fight all the time. Uh, you're going to have, for the safety of that animal, you need to castrate them because yeah. it makes them more docile. And they're easier to handle. They don't tear up equipment. They don't hurt cowboys or cowgirls. Uh -huh. yeah. And uh, it's just much easier on the animal and, and the ranch itself. You can't carry those animals over for that long anyway, because it's not economically feasible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we were just talking about because of the drought in one year, if you have, and, and because you had to feed for an entire year, if you had to keep that, that, bull around until he's five years old you got to feed him for five could you imagine the price that they would have to ask for that finished product at the grocery store to low make, to, low quality by the yes, way yeah to recuperate those those funds that they lost during that holdover time period it would be astronomical yeah we're talking uh, what you might be paying four pounds for at the grocery store you'd be paying at least four times that so 12 pounds, $12 a pound for hamburger. How about that? Oh, well, we also learned um, when this first came up from uh, Farm Bureau from Sean Martini was explaining to me that uh, there's a lot of beef that gets shipped from Colorado that gets shipped overseas and that it would violate, um, it would take Colorado completely out of that because mm -hmm. it violates um, UN treaty laws, international 30 laws, months, 30 months, 30 months and that's your yeah. cutoff. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. And it's not, it's not just economical or, or any of that, but it's impact on environment. It's it, all of the things 30 months is it. Mm -hmm. um, and, that, so, and that's a $1 billion industry, just, just, just for just, Colorado, just for Colorado to yeah. get it out of here. And, and just livestock production itself is a $5 billion industry to the state of Colorado, wow. which is number two economic driver of Colorado. And it's not, you're not, um, and forgive the pun, but you're not raising livestock, any livestock, cattle or anything else in Colorado. You're not raising it in silos. You're, there's other ag producers that benefit and it's, um, the, it all works together. It'll put us there, out of the market. I mean, it would, it would, it would finish Colorado. It would, it would, it would. And, um, uh, this would kind of segment into the next one I yep. would like to talk about. Yeah. We had our ag round table and uh, this, uh, I'm going to pull up my Tell them what their ag round table is yes. first, because this so is very interesting. I wanted to hear more from so you So the on future this. of ag in Colorado, we had uh, several, I don't know what you call them. Uh, they're, so Mary, They're all heavy hitters. They're all, all decision big, makers. Yeah. They're all, 
big time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the stock show is at risk of, of not being able to have the beef show. The Hereford show pulled out, went to Oklahoma. Yep. Um, the beef, the Angus, the Angus show is talking about it. We want to keep that stock show here. But if this pause initiative passes, it won't matter because there won't be a stock show. There won't be a state fair. There won't be a county fair if this pause initiative. That's how dire this is. And uh, but anyway, so a bunch of us uh, heavy hitters, Mayor Hancock and uh, his chief of staff, Alan Salazar, Dr. Tony Frank from CSU. He was there. And uh, the president CSO of the. Uh, the National Western, Paul, Paul Andrews, he was okay. there. Uh, Kate Greenberg, mm -hmm. Secretary of Ag. Five other commissioners from around the state were there. John Eckert, uh, chair of the, of, uh, the Western Stock Show Association. Mm -hmm. Senior policy director from Keystone Ernest House. Oh, he okay. was there. And, uh, of course, Chad Worthman, executive VP for CFB, Colorado Farm Bureau. Sean Martini was there also from Farm Bureau. And uh, Terry Frankhauser and many more. There were 30 individuals that were present there, all heavy hitters. Right. And uh, we all got together to figure out how we could circumvent this uh, suburban, urban, rural America, you know, rural Colorado divide. What, what I'm going to do is we have two minutes left on the show, oh, gotcha. but we can, we're going to continue this discussion. So for anybody listening, we will put this on YouTube because <clears throat> we're going to talk some more about this. I could talk to Tony all day. Yeah, so, but let's do that. Let's yeah, close the let's show do that. and then we'll continue before. We so, um, so as we go, um, as we sign off, uh, Chad Borthman, I know you're listening right now. So um, remember the good old days when uh, former representative and now Sen Senator um, Danielson was a friend of Colorado Farm Bureau. Uh, just wanted to remind you of those good old days um, when she was all about uh, ag, apparently. Um, join us next week when I ask a lot of overly complicated questions, and we'll see how it goes um, for Brian McCain when he explains to his wife that he's now buying a ranch down in Los Animas County. We'll <laughs> see you guys next week. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.